All right, so we're in Romans chapter 1. Last week we did uh, verses 1 through 7. Um, I'm not going to recap that whole thing. I think it was Seth that said, how did Paul talk that long about an introduction? I don't know. It's, it's a gift or a curse, right? Um, but let me, just, let me just summarize it like this. What I want you to remember about this book of Romans is that there's two rivers that run through it. Or as we talked about last week, there are two currents. That might be a better way to say it. Um, riptides is a good thing to think about when you think about currents. And so there are two currents that run through this book. One is the gospel current, and one is an anti-gospel current. You with me? The gospel current, just what I said, I explained it last week. I'm not trying to be cute or clever, like make it sound so beautiful that you think it's awesome. I'm just trying to make it so we can like hold on to it all the way through the book. A gospel current is Jesus rescuing us on the cross, okay? The anti-gospel current is us removing Jesus from the cross. So anything we see in this book that takes away the power of the cross and our need of a Savior is an anti-gospel current. And we can see that in culture, right? I mean, you don't have to look hard or far. We can see people that are like, thank you, God, for Jesus and the example that he set for me, but I've got it from here. That's an anti-gospel current because it takes Jesus off the cross and says we can take care of ourselves. So I told you that we would take the next two weeks and go through the rest of chapter 1. And that we would call this the best of times and the worst of times. That's going to how we're going to kind of divide this, these two sections. So we're in Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 17. And I'm, I'm calling this section the best of times. And then next week when you come back with all your friends and we talk about the last half of chapter 1, we'll be about two words into that. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, this is definitely the worst of times. And we're living it, right? We need to hear the word of God and his truth so let me, let me read our verses, and then I'll just make some notes about the verses, and we'll spend most of our time in the last two. Verse 8 says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. Your translation may say because your faith is being proclaimed. We've said this at the, at the beginning of the year. We believe at the gathering this is the year of proclaim, of proclamation. He's making us, he's taking us public with our faith. Paul said, I thank God because your faith is being proclaimed all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I might impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Father, I just ask you now to come and speak your word and your truth to our hearts. Get me out of the way, God, so that we can clearly hear from you. And I pray that at the end of today, I mean, our hearts would be stirred like Paul to say, I am eager to preach this gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you um, maybe two points that will like for, for this week and next week, and then we'll just talk about the first point today, and then we'll pick it up the next week on the second point. So it's the best of times, and it's the worst of times. This is what happens in the best of times. When we proclaim God's truth, if you're a note taker, you're going to want to write this down. When we proclaim God's truth, the righteousness of God is revealed. Right? Paul said in verse 8, I'm so thankful because you, your faith is being reported, it's being proclaimed. Like you're not just proclaiming the gospel, but people are talking to people about how you proclaim the gospel. And not in a bad way, right? Like we, I mean, I don't, we've all seen people witness in weird ways, right? And we, and we talk about it. I don't know if that's the best way to evangelize the world, right? Like the big sun and like you're going, I don't know, man, I'm not sure. We talk about it. But they were talking about it in a good way. Like these jokers are proclaiming the gospel. I encounter somebody that's proclaimed the gospel. And Paul says, I'm so thankful that you've proclaimed the gospel. And so he said that when we proclaim it, you jump down to the last few verses that we read. He says that when we preach the gospel, not only does it contain power for salvation, but verse 17 says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. When we proclaim God's truth, his righteousness is revealed. That's, that's the gospel current. Are you with me? Okay, so that's today. We're going to talk about that today, just that one thing, right? Next week... Here's what we're going to learn about in the worst of times. When we suppress God's truth, the wrath of God is revealed. Everybody say wrath. Makes you shudder, doesn't it? And and just just so you know, right, because I don't know how many... I don't know how many churches you've been to where you've heard somebody preach about the last half of chapter 1, but it, it can get fiery. Like... People can get into it, like telling people how bad they are, a lot of finger pointing. And we start talking about the wrath of God, like our voices change. Like um, Chris mentioned pirates, or the wrath of God, right? We change our voice. We try to make it really powerful. But I was thinking about this this week. We think of the wrath of God as something mean that he does to us. But do you know that sometimes the wrath of God is simply him removing his self from us? And that's what we'll see next week. He said, hey, if you're going to, I've revealed myself, the gospel has been proclaimed, and you have suppressed my truth, so I'm just going to remove. The, the, if we're all in a river and we're all sinful, you okay so far? You're like, I thought this was next week. Just hang with me. If we're all sinful, then we're all going the same direction, and it's towards destruction. And the grace of God provides a gospel current that can take us 
to salvation where we look like Jesus, become like Jesus. But that only happens as we acknowledge his truth and proclaim it. That's what puts us into the gospel current to be taken this way. And so if we suppress his truth, I don't think it's like God says, I'm going to like rain down like sulfur and brimstone and all the other things. Like I'm going to just a pile of ashes. I think it's that he just says, well, I'll leave you to your own devices. And your only device is a current that is an anti-gospel current that takes you away. That's what's revealed when we suppress the truth. Oh, but take a deep breath and tell somebody that's next week. So for, for today, let's talk about the best of times. Let me just give you a, just a, I'm just going to make some notes about each verse. So in verse 8, he says, I'm so thankful that your, your faith is being reported. And I would just ask you to ask yourself, are people reporting my faith? Are people saying to people, you got to meet or hear this person talk about Jesus? Is your faith contagious? Verse 9, he says, God, God whom I serve. Now, this is a weird, a weird phrase. I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son. In the actual manuscript, the word preaching is not there. So if, it's, if you're looking at your Bible, it might be italicized. But it basically says, God whom I serve in my spirit in the gospel of his son. We talked about this last week. What is the gospel? It was not a unique Christian term. Gospel just meant good news. And it almost always meant good news of victory. Messengers, when a war was over, they would send a messenger. He was an evangelist. They would send the messenger with the news that the war was over and that they had won. And, and in what might have been the most mind-blowing thing for me last week when I studied was to read that people would know just based on the appearance of the person bringing the good news that they were bringing good news, right? They could tell by their face that they had won before they even said a word. Paul says, I serve the Lord in my spirit in the gospel. He's like, and in some translations, spirit means with my whole heart. And let me just challenge you with that. Are we wholehearted about the good news of the gospel? I, I, don't, I don't know that I always am. Is that too honest? Like I think sometimes I, I look at the news and I'm just like, huh? Or like next week, I mean, we can't preach the worst of times with like this attitude that says, well, I mean, they suppress the truth, so I guess that's what they deserve. Because so do we. Right? He was wholehearted in the gospel. He was confident enough to call God as his witness about how often he prayed for the believers in Rome. I, th I thought that was just amazing when he said in verse 9, that God is my witness how I constantly remember you in prayer. Are y'all okay? I'm, I'm just like throwing out these little application questions. These are things that I feel like God asked me when I read that. I felt like God said, um, Paul, would you like me to testify about your prayer life? Whew. 
God, could, could you give me a week to have a really good week of prayer? And then you can testify, right? But like Paul called God. Like I call God as my witness to how often I remember you in prayer. So you're never going to proclaim the gospel to people you don't pray for. Well, let me rephrase. You can proclaim the gospel to people that you don't pray for, but it might not have the heart of God behind it. I would, I would encourage you. I would encourage you as we go through these verses to ask God, God, who, who should I be praying for? Who are you putting on my heart? Verse 10, he says, in my prayers at all times, and I pray that now at last by God's will, the way might be open for me to come to you. He's writing to people that he's never even met. I just jotted down, am I willing to lay my plans before the Lord and wait on him? The frustration that Paul might have felt, like that doesn't come through in the letter, right? He's patiently waiting for the Lord to open the way for him to come. I don't know that I always patiently wait like that. I think sometimes I'm like, come on, God, get with the program. Are you kidding me right now? I've got good news. Open the door. Let's go. Open the door. Paul was willing to wait. At verses 11 through 13, um, when I was reading this, and now again, I don't know what everybody's church background is, but I was, I'm a church mutt, right? So I was raised Methodist, um, and then we got pulled into this really super weird Pentecostal church. Um, weird, right? I only went because there was a cute girl, that's, and my mom and dad told me I had to go, but I mean that... It was weird. It was a cinder block church, and there might have been like 50 people in there. And some of y'all think that we're weird, and we might be. Like, we might be. But weird in a big crowd is different than weird in a small crowd. Because here you can kind of hide. <laughs> you, you can't hide in a weird Pentecostal church of 50. Because like 49 people look at you like, get with it, dude. Let's go. Or they start, like, looking at you, and you're just praying, oh, God, forgive me of everything I've ever done or even will do. Like, please don't let them call me out. You know, like, there's always that one guy who's like, and you! <sighs> so because of my background, I've, every background has some baggage. Is that fair to say? Because of my background, I have some baggage around the word impart. Because it's all about impartation, brother. <laughs> right? Have you heard this? I, I shouldn't say it with that tone because impartation is not a bad thing. So what I want to do for a few minutes is just help us kind of normalize the word impartation because of what Paul just wrote. One, he said, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. So there's something about being together that allows us to impart. Something's being, there's a transaction going on. Are you with me? Something's happening. He's giving, and you have to have it if you're going to give it. Now, you already believe this. You just make it weird when you come to church. Here's how I know. Okay, I think I feel good about this. I feel like if I start this phrase, you will finish it. Don't let me down. I know it's Father's Day, but let's talk about Mama for a second. 
if I said the words, if mama ain't happy, why is that? Because impartation. It's why when you're super sad and you listen to super sad songs, you typically get super sadder. It's why you can be around a crowd of people that start like, like they're into stuff, they're into the game. Like you might not be the guy that paints your face or the woman that paints your face, but like you're around people that are doing all that kind of stuff. You kind of get sucked into it and, and pretty you're like, this is, this is so cool. We won! Who are we pulling for again? Like it rubbed off on you. You already believe this. This is why at work you avoid the grumps. Or this is why drama follows you everywhere. Because impartation happens all the time. Who we're around affects us. And we should also be affecting who we're around. Impartation is a normal part of being just a human. You ever, if you're ever having a bad day, literally, you should just get on TikTok and watch babies laugh. Right? And you will do what? You will laugh. And then you'll be like, ooh, yo, look at this. And then they'll be like, <laughs> it's like, it's just, they won't do that. That was awful. <laughs> Show of hands, was that worse than my British accent? Yes. And I didn't think anything could be worse than my. Anyway, <laughs> I did it in my head again. I was saying, I was saying tea and crumpets in my head. Tea and crumpets. I did it. See, there we can have it again. God, stop it. Just moved to Australia. Chase fries, please. <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so very much. But the thing about impartation is that you're around the person. You've invited a connection. Right? Even with TikTok, you've connected with that video. I'm still there with you. It's okay. Just laugh. It's fine. We'll work it out. We're going to get through this. We're, in, we're imparting joy to the whole body. That's <laughs> what's happening. Or bad accents, one of them. Paul said, I want to be with you so I can impart something to you. I, I just want you to hear my heart. I, I'm not, I don't want to be the pastor who like beats people up for not coming to church, right? Like trends are changing. Our lives are crazy busy. Um, I actually read a thread this week that talked about how like, I mean, once, once a month, is now the standard for people that love Jesus and go to church once a month. And, and it's like my first thought was like, are you kidding me? And the very next thing was like, so, you, so like if you beat people up for only coming once a month, they're not going to come even once a month, right? Like we're all busy. I get it. We all have to figure out our priorities. So when I make this statement, please don't take it like, oh, of course the pastor is going to beat us up for not coming to church all the time. I'm not a doors are open every time you need to be there guy. But y'all, there is something about being in the room together. Right? Do you, hear, do you hear my heart? 
just according to that verse, I long to see you so I can impart something to you. And I would just ask you, like, do you long to be with the body? Not so you can get, and there's seasons for that, but so that you can give something. That is, verse 12, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Each other's faith. Something happens when we're together. And verse 13 just clearly indicates that because something happens when we're together, there is an enemy, there's somebody working to try to keep that from happening. Right? What did he say? I've planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. And I'm not, like, trying to go crazy like demons behind every door. But who did the preventing? Right? There is a spiritual reality to what we see physically. And, I mean, if you've ever been late to work and gotten behind the slow car, you're familiar with instruments of the devil. Right? But it wasn't the slow car. It was, well... We'll just move on. Verse 14. Paul said, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. I just want to highlight that word obligated. It literally means I'm in debt. Paul said, I am indebted to all men to preach the gospel. He was eager to preach. Remember last week we talked about how, like, good news was rewarded? So, like, messengers would almost race each other to be the first to deliver the good news because they got a bigger reward. Like, Paul recognizes, I have something that I need to deliver, and I am obligated. I'm living my life in debt, and I don't want to talk about your finances, but, y'all, when debt becomes so crippling, it just hangs over you. you. If you've ever been in that place, you know the feeling that Paul was feeling like, oh, I just got to get out from under this. And the way he got out from under that was he proclaimed the gospel. I can't wait to be with you in Rome because Rome is full of Greeks and non-Greeks. It's full of wise and mm, foolish. And I'm in debt until I can tell these people the good news. I'm just challenged by that, y'all. I'm just being honest. I don't know that I feel that way about evangelism. I want to. Like, I lay before the Lord and go, like, I want to feel that. God, I want to be able to say that I'm indebted to preaching the gospel, but sometimes I just don't feel that. And I think that this is a state of mind before it's a feeling. We have to see ourselves as indebted, which is why in verse 15 he says, and that is why I am so eager to preach the gospel to all who are in Rome. It's like, I can't get there fast enough because I have good news, and I don't want to keep it from you. I want to share it with you. And the only thing I could think about was, like, can you imagine if there was an incurable disease that was literally killing everybody, and you randomly, through watching YouTube, probably came up with a vaccination that would cure the incurable disease? How long would you sit on that information before you shared it with a world that was dying? 
I would like to think not long. I would like to think you would be calling somebody like, how can we mass produce this? I found the cure. I got to get the word out. And that's what Paul's saying. I'm eager to preach the gospel. I have the answer. I have the antidote. I have what everybody needs, and I can't get it out fast enough. And then we get to verse 16, and he says four, right? So everything we just talked about is leading up to this. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we could talk for hours about that. What are we ashamed of? And if we're ashamed of the gospel, it's because we don't understand the power of God that is in it. It is is able to save. The revelation of our sin doesn't shame us. It saves us. And Paul knew that. I'm not ashamed to tell you about this good news. In verse 17, it says that the gospel, it doesn't just save us, but it reveals something, and it reveals the righteousness of God. And literally, it means this, that the gospel, the good news, when it's preached, it reveals God's righteousness. It reveals who he is. It reveals what he would deem righteous. The gospel helps us see the world from God's point of view. Righteousness means right standing. And I, or this, this listen this, or the state of him who is as he ought to be, the condition acceptable to God. And so the gospel reveals that God is right, and it reveals how we can stand before him in a way that is acceptable, and that is righteous through Christ. The righteous receive God's way, and the unrighteous do not. And that's why it's going to lead into next week. Because verse 17 says, the righteous will live by faith. But then what happens to people who aren't willing to live by faith? Those are the worst of times. I love Tony Evans. Um, he's so good at providing, like, things that I can understand and, like, pictures that help me figure out what the Bible is saying. And he said this about verse 17. That when God reveals this righteousness, it's a righteousness that is by faith and that we live by faith. He said it would, just, it would be just like if you wanted to buy a house and you had no money. And somebody that had a lot of money bought you a house. You would live in, I would hope you would live in a house. You're living in a house that you could not afford to buy. And you receive it from the person who gave it to you. Like that's how we live the Christian life. The enemy will try to tempt us and tell us that, no, 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 you're, you're good, man. You needed the gospel when you were bad. But now that you're in Christ, you got this. And you, no, no, I'm still living in a life I couldn't afford. I'm still living in a house. No, longer how, no matter how many years you live in that house, you never bought it. It was always given to you. It always costs somebody else. It costs God to give you that house, and he gave it to you. 
He's given us salvation through Christ. He paid the price for it. And when we receive that, that's how we live by faith. What's the takeaway today? Man, probably not to have this take it or leave it attitude about evangelism. And I say that as somebody who needs to repent of having a take it or leave it attitude about evangelism. Like maybe it's recognizing that like we need to be marked with passion because passion attracts attention and attention helps us talk about Jesus. I will close with this story. I haven't told this in years, but um, Wendy went to a, a wedding one time to help her mom because her mom used to cater weddings. And she went to this wedding to help her mom. I couldn't go. And so when she came back, you know, she was like, tell me about how hard they worked. And it's hard, to, it's hard to be a caterer at a wedding. If you've never done it, you should not try it. She said that by the end of the night, you know, they had kind of done all their work and they were just sitting down. She said, I was so tired. And um, she said, I'm just sitting, kind of sitting there like watching life go by, you know. And, but her, her dad, who never really did much, and I think, I think I'm telling this right, make sure I do, but her dad asked her mom, to dance. And Wendy, she's telling me the story, and like her face lights up, you know, and she said, and I don't know, I mean, like I was so tired, but like when he asked her to dance, like I just was like watching them. And it's just like did something inside of her. And she's telling me, and I was like, because that's what passion does. Passion attracts people. Like when somebody is like, we make fun of, like, old people that hold hands, but, you, but we love it. Like, oh, look at that. They, neither one of them have hair. <laughs> but they're so cute holding hands, right? Or, like, doing that little, like, kiss. It's just like, oh, that's so sweet. Passion attracts people. And I would just say this. If you don't have a passion, if we don't have a passion to evangelize a lost world with the only hope that that world has, we need to do some heart check, right? Because we'll never have an attractive faith, y'all. People are not attracted to whatever your eschatological theology is about when Jesus will or will not come back. That doesn't attract people. But if you live a life knowing he's coming back at any moment and you can you have good news to share with people that passion attracts people when they say stuff like like i notice that you don't whatever or i notice you always whatever they're asking about what motivates you what's your passion what really gets you going and we're like it's jesus like okay that wasn't the answer i was expecting but tell me more Right? I'm praying that we become a church that's passionate about the gospel. That we, we're passionate about the verses that we just read. Like, God, give me a heart that says I'm eager to preach. I'm obligated to preach. I can't wait, and I'm not ashamed to do it. Give us that heart. No altar call needed. I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to go out and live it. Right? We're going to go out and do what we just talked about. Father.
In the name of Jesus, we just ask that you would do in us what we just read. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for his witness. Thank you for, I mean, just how he challenges us to be bold in our faith, to be bold in the, in the proclamation of the good news. And I pray, Lord, that the gathering would be marked with this passionate joy about who you are and that we would see people through your eyes, people that you love, people that are hurting and you want to heal them, hold them, change them. And I pray, God, that we would be the people that share the good news that there is a healer who transforms and he loves you. He wants you. Use us this week to proclaim that good news. In Jesus' name, amen.